electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, the spread and severity of the Omicron variant of COVID-19 with former FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb. There is a lot of people who are going to get infected with Delta even still, and they may find that that immunity that they've acquired through that Delta infection isn't going to be protective against Omicron. Digital media company BuzzFeed is now public. More than listicles and quizzes, CEO Jonah Peretti. If you want to think about what we're looking for in the future, it's really strong brands, really engaged audiences, um, great new monetization opportunities, and the ability to have more operating leverage as a, as a bigger company with some shared services. Plus, Ray Dalio clarifies his comments on China that were only on Squawk Box and Bitcoin's volatile weekend. You can get 50% moves in this thing. It's Monday, December 6th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good Monday morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And this morning, we're looking at a mixed picture. First up on our podcast, Bitcoin under pressure today after a wild weekend during which the cryptocurrency plunged as much as 17 percent. A single Bitcoin fell as low as about $43,000 on Saturday, down from Friday's close of $57,000. But not to fear, some are buying the dip. Over the weekend, El Salvador's president, Nayib Bukele, acquired an additional 150 Bitcoin after buying 100 coins just last week to take advantage of the currency weakening. In September, El Salvador became the world's first nation to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender and just last week announced plans to create an oceanside Bitcoin city at the base of a volcano inspired by Alexander the Great. Here's Joe Kernan. We say it got to 43. I think it got... I had a print at, at, at one point on one of my services, like 41. But anyway, 42 I've seen everywhere. Uh, the price of Bitcoin plunged. That's a pretty big move from 65 to 42. Uh, you can get 50% moves in this thing, uh, down and up. It was 28,000 not that long ago, remember? And then went back to 65. Yep. Anyway, strategist Matt Maley at Miller Tabak told CNBC, it looks like somebody got hit with a margin call yesterday and was forced to sell. And they're talking about really derivatives based on Bitcoin that are leveraged. And, it, it, you know, you, you can have some type of relationship to Bitcoin futures, ramp up the leverage, and small moves get you a big return. If it goes the other way, you get a margin call, and then you got to liquidate. He also noted the Bitcoin market tends to be more thin on weekends, so that probably made things worse. But it's really about the Fed, too, and it's about speculative assets. If, if interest rates go up because the Fed tapers or, or even tightens at some point, just anything speculative becomes less. It's just a knee jerk uh, kind but of reaction. Joe, you, were, you were saying you thought it was the, these other instruments. My understanding is that outside of the U.S., you can get leverage on certain sites up to like 100 times just straight up on Bitcoin, no? On Bitcoin itself. That would make more sense, yeah. because unless the tail's really wagging the dog. The dog you probably can, can, can leverage, too. Um, it's volatile. And these are, you know, 
we're talking about multiple Bs. I don't know if we hit Ts, but we could hit T at some How point. How thinly traded is it? I mean, if, for it to be able to be a thin traded market to make that sort of exacerbation, I mean, that's... But the total, I mean, the total market is, uh, I think of crypto as like one of the, the major tech stocks, right? Yeah. It's about this, it's somewhere around there. Like, a, so still not that, that big uh, of a market. And then you've got the people that, that will never sell. And then you've got some people that bought recently, I think. And, and they, they, they were all up briefly. But now think if you bought at 55, 60, 65, start getting that, that dry throat, that tight feeling. Because oh, I mean, it can really, can really move. Other cryptos right now, Ether also, I read a couple of times last week, it was outperforming Bitcoin. Well, not for long. It's tough to be a, to, to be a stacker, don't you think? If you bought, because stackers, a lot of stackers bought at five, six, seven, eight, ten, twelve. Can right. you really, can you really, like, save up fifty thousand dollars to buy on what? I guess they do. They yeah. buy fifty. Well, they buy, I'm buy thinking of myself. Most people are just buying. I'm having trouble. I would have trouble buying at, at at this low. I mean, if you bought it, I think I bought it as low as forty nine hundred or forty five hundred or something. I, I, I'm afraid. But, I mean, I took a lot Andrew's of profits. Right. I'm afraid to go back in. I'm not giving not back my profit. Yeah. I'm not a hold. I guess I'm not a stacker. I'm not a giga stacker. Maybe I should be. Because when You're it goes back up, I always either. say, huh? You're not diamond hands either. No, I'm definitely not. I got maybe, what have I got? I got maybe a third of what I, what I had initially. But I wouldn't call you paper hands, though. No, I'm not quite well, paper. Well, I'm letting it ride now. You know, yeah. whatever happens, happens. Bridgewater Associates founder Ray Dalio is speaking out over the weekend to try to clarify some of the comments he made last week on Squawk Box about China's record on human rights and specifically the government, quote, disappearing people. Into the policy of disappearing people. I'll give a little bit of a perspective of that, okay? What they have is an autocratic system. And one of the leaders described it, he said, that uh, the United States is a country of individuals and individualism, and that's what it's about. He said in China, it's an extension of the family. He said, um, uh, if you look at the word country in China, it consists of two characters, state, family, and that has to do with confusion, and it's very much a top-down. And as a top-down country, what they're doing is that it's that kind of like a strict parent. They behave like a strict parent. Here's what Dalio said on LinkedIn over the weekend. He said, quote, I didn't mean to convey that human rights aren't important because I certainly believe they are. And I didn't mean to convey that the U.S. and China deal with these issues similarly because they certainly don't. I was attempting to explain what a Chinese leader told me about how they think about governing. I was not expressing my own opinion or endorsing that approach. My overriding objective is to help understanding. Understanding and agreeing are two different things. And that's what was lost in the interview. I'm sorry my answer lacked that nuance and caused confusion. Uh, it also caused a lot of uh, criticism and in certain cases piling on. Uh, Mitt Romney uh, taking to Twitter, uh, calling his friend, uh, saying uh, or describing his friend, describing Ray Dalio as his friend uh, and also, quote, brilliant, but then saying that the comment was effectively a moral lapse um, but uh, there has uh, been quite some consternation. The other piece of consternation that's happened as a result of this is inside Bridgewater itself uh, because the company's, uh, uh, the, the company's 
president, uh, uh, Devin McCormick, is perhaps set to maybe make a run at Senate, at the Senate uh, as a Republican in Pennsylvania. And that has uh, caused, according to some reporting, uh, its own disconnect inside the firm over this issue and whether uh, his comments could be used effectively against McCormick. So uh, lots to unpack and lots going on there. Yep. Uh, Dr. Oz. Dr. Oz, there's Dr. a lot Oz of, also, a lot of also, also running there. Yeah. I, I, I do live, think, and I, I Jersey's pretty ahead. close. I'm thinking I might. Uh, I don't. No, I probably won't. Not this time <laughs> around. But uh, probably won't throw my. I, I was going to say, the two things that are fascinating to me about about Dalio's comments. One is it is worth noting, and I think in fairness, it's worth saying. And I don't know if it's in fairness, but in, in in disclosure for the purpose of Bridgewater, they have an enormous amount of money from the Chinese. Uh, in their fund. And, and obviously that, I no, think, plays, really? plays in all of this. <laughs> oh, the other okay. piece, though, that, that is might I make a difference. Yeah, well, I think I, we figured I, that. I, yeah. I like what uh, he said. I'm not an expert after telling us. I mean, you just heard him pontificating again about everything he knows about China and then asking about genocide or Uyghurs. Right. And he goes, oh, yeah, I'm not an expert. The notion of whatever they're doing in terms of calling in people and then um, and then uh, behaving in a certain way, that's their approach. Uh, if I if I picked that, uh, uh, evaluated all approaches around the world um, in all countries, I'd be in a bind to try to find out, you know, where do I invest and so on. It's just not my domain. And and I'll leave it to the government to make those decisions. Um, and that's that's my basic approach. I didn't really believe what he was saying, that he be- he believed what he was saying. I, well, I will I will generously say that I that I think that he really that. The way he was describing it was the way he was what he now in this clarification says that he was trying to do, which was to say, this is how I think they think about it. I'm not sure this is actually how he thinks about it, but uh, I'm sure that'll be up for debate. I've argued both sides, Andrew. When, when you decided not to go to Saudi Arabia, I said, well, come on, we're not going to use oil. So we all have to make decisions right. as a country on, on where we draw the line. And a lot of times you just... What you just can't draw the line necessarily when there's so much going on. If you if if you took the moral high ground on every single situation in in multinational relations, I don't know what the world would look like. It'd be so. impossible. But where do you come down on the diplomatic boycott of the Olympics? I know, I know, and uh, I'm really looking forward to the Olympics. Me too. So I just wish China would be nice. Stop, stop the genocide. Stop the disappearing. Don't hold your breath. All right. To listen to our full interview with Ray Dalio on China and his new book on the rise and fall of economic empires, check out our podcast published on November 30th. If you follow us on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on Spotify, you should see it right in your feed. Coming up on Squawk Pod today, more states across the U.S. reporting cases of the Omicron COVID variant. Former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb on the rising concern. I worry about states that have low vaccination rates, high Delta exposure, and are confident right now and perhaps overconfident because their prevalence has declined. That describes a lot of states in the South right now, which I think could be vulnerable to Omicron. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. 
That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. We got an update now on the Omicron variant of the coronavirus. Yesterday, Georgia became the 17th U.S. state to confirm a case. Meg Terrell joins us with the latest. Lots of news to update us with over the weekend, Meg. Yeah, Andrew. So in the in the U.S., of course, more cases uh, reported in multiple states. We are learning uh, a little bit more about the characteristics of this variant and of these cases. Some of them are travel-related, um, folks having been to Southern Africa. Uh, others are community spread. Most of them so far reported to be mild, a mixture of vaccinated and unvaccinated folks. Uh, we did hear about one case in New Jersey uh, where the person uh, was fully vaccinated, sought uh, emergency department care, but we do not know the extent of that and some pointing out that could just be a typical breakthrough case. Uh, it was said that she had moderate symptoms. Uh, but something catching a lot of attention over the weekend, guys, was a report out of South Africa from a regional hospital system there looking at the severity of cases. The authors of this report saying it is really starkly different at the beginning of this fourth wave there than it has been from previous waves. Uh, while we have seen hospital admissions tick up, uh, they report that a majority of these admissions are for diagnoses unrelated to COVID. They have a policy there of testing everybody in the hospital for COVID. And so it seems like a lot of people are there and then they turn out to have COVID. They didn't realize that they did. Uh, Many fewer of these patients require oxygen in the hospital. Uh, And they report that the COVID-related hospitalizations, the stays there are a lot shorter, two and a half days compared with eight and a half for the previous 18 months. Uh, Now, this is also from the same report. They look at the deaths from COVID and they have not yet seen them tick up. Deaths have not yet increased there, but guys, a lot of caveats to this. Deaths and severe disease both lag by several weeks, so we could just be seeing the early data and not yet seeing severe disease manifest. We are also seeing a lot more younger patients uh, going into the hospital in South Africa. And so, of course, we know that age is related with more severe disease as well. Older people are more vaccinated in South Africa, but perhaps a glimmer of positive news if this trend holds. Guys? Hey, Meg, can we talk about transmission? Because there was also two other, um, and again, all anecdotal, Uh, But uh, a party that took place, as I think you know, in Oslo, uh, where effectively 120 people got it, including some that weren't even part of the party who happened to go into the same room as the party like an hour after the party was over, which to some to some doctors seems to suggest it really does hang in the air and has an almost measles like quality to from a transmissibility perspective. Similar story. There was a, a party in Denmark where 150 people. Uh, seem to have gotten it all at the same time. Yeah, these are really scary things to hear about. The number of people just getting infected, these super spreader events, some of the world's first with Omicron. We just don't know yet uh, if if it really is that much more transmissible. The things that seem more firm are that it can reinfect people who've previously had COVID more easily. Um, Some folks are now talking about whether the time from infection to infectiousness is shorter with Omicron, which would make it more um, contagious in that way. 
Um, but more work is needed to be done on all of this. And I don't think even all of those cases have been sequenced. So we don't know that they're all Omicron. You know, the expectation is many of them probably are. But it's, of course, very frightening to hear about that level of contagiousness, if, if that is the case. And then I, in terms of severity, one of the big questions, especially around some of the data out of South Africa, had been that it wasn't it wasn't affecting older people and we hadn't seen it in enough people for a long enough time to know whether we were going to get, unfortunately, to either hospitalizations or death or the like. Are we now at a point where we can, I mean, either are we at that point or when will we be at the point to actually be able to measure this properly? Yeah, we're still only really in the first few weeks of this wave, which is just remarkable to see how quickly the cases have gone up. So it will probably still be a few more weeks until we really see that. There's also a marked difference uh, in the vaccination rates among people over 50 and under 50 in South Africa. And so perhaps that is playing a role here. And if so, does it show that the vaccines do provide protection, which is something that we all really want to see? We are expecting perhaps even as soon as the end of this week, we could see the first lab data on how well the vaccines protect or at least neutralize uh, the Omicron variant. Uh, And from there, we'll start to hear more about the decision-making around whether we'll need updated vaccines. Uh, But of course, we just keep hearing it'll be a few more weeks and we're all really impatient to know these answers. Meg Terrell with the latest. Always great to see you and thank you for everything. Appreciate it. Joe? I've got a couple of things, you guys. Uh, I still go between Omicron and and Omicron. Both are acceptable uh, in the dictionary. But if you think about it, um, it's Omega. That's right. the big O. And so it would be, but it would be O-Micron. And Micron is a word that's used a lot. And it's actually is little O and big O. It's, now, big O to me is Oscar Robertson, the great Bearcat University of Cincinnati player. But um, I think O. Henry. We skipped two letters, too. We skipped the 13th letter. We new, skipped new and We didn't she. want to say the new variant because right. that's right. confusing. And we skipped... The next one, which is pronounced Xi, like xylophone. Right, so we could have done Xi, but it's spelled she, she yeah. Xi, like so we had to, you know, no, no, no. They, we can't. they said, who said they did it because it was a common surname and they didn't want to pick it up. Exactly. In China, but it's pronounced the, the first Xi hundred, anyway. It, it's one of the top 200. It's maybe right. like a, the, the top 200 surnames in China. The top 100 surnames in China cover 85% of the population. Yeah. But it's little O and big O. And it's used a lot for the 15th of something, like the 15th star in a constellation. I've been some... sticking with Omni- o- Omicron, but I confuse myself. I'm with I might like Omicron. I yeah. might start doing it because that's acceptable, I'm thinking too. Om- then it sounds like a tech company. You're om- thinking Om. Like you like do a- that. You used to do that, right. Sorkin. You used to do that's... that, but you stopped. You told me you used to do that in the morning. I that's used why to you do were the late. T- <laughs> Transcendental meditation. The producer's I used laughing to. at that. You, 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 to do it. You know what? That's what Your I used mood, to do. I, I, I look at your mood ring, and a lot of times I see it just no angry purple. Ring. And when you used to, when you used to do ohms, you were you were much. You Not just a mood like ring. It doesn't was, change colors. You oh, think I was better? I'll no. give you my number today. My readiness, Joe. I'm doing today. I should be. 89 percent or not 89. My number. I got an 89 this morning. So that's that's good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's good. That's good for all of us. Right, Beck? That's good for all of us. Yep. The Omicron variant spreading through the U.S. I'm going to just mix it up, use all the different pronunciations Uh, with dozens of cases found in 17 states, according to the CDC director. Uh, and joining us now, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, former FDA commissioner and CNBC contributor. He also serves on the boards of Pfizer and Illumina. Some good stuff 
happened recently, Scott, it, it just regulators sort of conceding that, yeah, we, we may do a expedited um, approach in terms of if we need to actually have a, a vaccine that's, that's more customized towards uh, Omicron, we'll do that. That was probably good. I'd like you to comment on, on what you know about the sequences that were added and the similarity to the common cold, the, the, which is a coronavirus. It makes it more transmissible, but at the same time, it, it makes the symptoms milder, potentially. Why do we think that? And, and, and is it, do we have any real evidence to think that or, or we're just hopeful? Yeah, I would be careful about over-interpreting that sequence data. Um, I don't think you can just impute from what you see in the sequence what the clinical characteristics are going to be. I think more important is the clinical data on the ground. And unfortunately, we're really challenged collecting that in the setting of a current crisis. I mean, the South Africans are busy delivering crisis levels of care. So as we saw in New York, it's very hard for busy clinicians in the setting of a, a crisis to both collect information and publish it and deal with the immediate patient care issues. And this is where the WHO, I think, could be doing much more on the ground to help assist in collecting that clinical information and disseminating it, analyzing it, so we can have some clinical insights. Now, that said, the doctors in South Africa are doing, you know, very good work and putting out some clinical data. We had a report over the weekend from a hospital in T- the Tishwane district, which is a busy part of Pretoria that's hard hit by this new variant or perceived to be hard hit by this new variant. That was somewhat encouraging. It showed that of 166 patients who were admitted to the hospital since this crisis began, they found 38 COVID positive patients. Most were incidental findings, people who were there for obstetrical reasons or surgery and found to be COVID positive, but not symptomatic. Of the nine patients with COVID pneumonia, most seemed to be stable, none were in critical care, and all had been unvaccinated. So there's some indication that the vaccines may be protective and also that people who are getting sick aren't getting as sick. Now, the critical question is going to be, and this is the one we need to tease out and could be teasing out with better data collection by the international bodies. The critical question is going to be, are people getting less ill because they've previously been infected with Delta? We know there was a very high attack rate of Delta in that part of South Africa. Or is this an innately less virulent virus? We don't know the answer to that question. I think our assumption has to be that people are getting less ill because they've been previously exposed to COVID and therefore have residual cellular immunity. They're B cells, memory B cells and T cells. So they're able to fight off the disease even if they're susceptible to the infection. Let's try, it's a moving target. Let's try to, to anticipate where, what, what, uh, what we should be concerned with. We had Thanksgiving, a lot of people uh, there's still a lot of unvaccinated individuals and some breakthrough. Is Delta, because it is a bad uh, variant, really bad, more transmissible and, and make people really sick, are, are we going to need to have our eye on, on Delta breakouts still? Or do you think we should be worrying about the spread of, of this new variant? Yeah, Omicron isn't here in any appreciable level. There's not a widespread community transmission of this virus now at all. And so their absolute risk of contracting is exceedingly low in the United States. And we have good detection, so we would be picking it up. Delta is the immediate risk. Um, and the tragic thing is there is a lot of people who are going to get infected with Delta even still. And they may find that that immunity that they've acquired through that Delta infection isn't going to be protective against Omicron. So, you know, based on what we know now, we'll know more in a couple of weeks But based on what we know now, the vaccines still appear to be protective against both Delta and this new variant. And so there's still a a window for people 
to both get boosted and get vaccinated and probably getting more people vaccinated if this does end up spreading here could become much more important. I worry about states that have low vaccination rates, high Delta exposure and are confident right now and perhaps overconfident because their prevalence has declined. And that describes a lot of states in the South right now, which I think could be vulnerable to Omicron because they're relying a lot on Delta immunity. They've seen prevalence really collapse because of that Delta immunity, because they've had such a big wave of infection. But Omicron seems to pierce that. We have clear evidence now that the people who are getting infected in South Africa are people who are getting reinfected after a Delta infection. So far, we haven't seen analytical work on the vaccines that should be coming. So we'll have a better sense how well two doses of vaccine, which is largely what's been used in this market, is protecting against this new variant. And then we're going to have to look at the neutralization data and see if there's a Delta between the three doses and the two doses. I suspect there will be and that the three doses is going to provide more robust protection against this. So like a booster, if you're boosted recently, then you might even have asymptomatic, but still spread Omicron. Yeah, I think, you know, if I had to um, put a marker down, I think that you're going to find that the vaccines, even a properly boosted vaccines, isn't nearly as protective against infection from this new variant as it is against Delta and some of the variants that we've seen to date. But it is much more protective against symptomatic disease and very protective against severe disease. That would that that's what we hope would be the outcome here. I think there's going to be clear evidence that it pierces the immunity, the immediate immunity. So people are more likely to get infected, but then not become either symptomatic or as severely ill. And so the vaccines will be fulfilling their original premise. We'll see. Again, these are answerable questions. And I think world health bodies really need to be doing more in these parts of the world, trying to assist in data collection, and the analytical work to get answers to these questions, because we're at a point right now where even weeks matters. We have to make decisions about pivoting over production for the global community. And so the WHO and others could be on the ground collecting information. A senior WHO official tweeted out this morning imploring uh, countries to submit data to their database. That's kind of passive. I mean, we should be doing more active collection on the ground and assisting the doctors in that region. Okay, Dr. Uh, Scott Gottlieb, thanks. Uh, Today's Monday. Thanks a lot. I expect I'll see you again soon. Thank you. Next on Squawk Pod, Talking Tacos. Jack in a Box had a darn good taco. And BuzzFeed going public today, but an unusually high number of investors have pulled their cash from the SPAC. What's buzzing about this deal? The digital media company's CEO, Jonah Peretti, joins us. In the midst of our process, we definitely saw the SPAC market get ice cold. We anticipated high redemptions and we structured a deal so that we knew we could get public and buy complex regardless of the redemption levels. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash. Uptrack, stand by Joe. You're listening to Squawk Pod. 
Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC Live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I warned you guys, does Monday not come fast compared to Friday? Was that, uh, was that not unbelievable? Time flies Remember, when you're having I said, fun. I said enjoy, enjoy the anticipation of the weekend because... It's basically already Monday on Friday. Well, then this should be your favorite day of the week because Friday Friday. is coming. (laughs) I'm I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to be happy all the time, which is uh, we all need to try that. I'm Joe Kernan along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. I I succeed most of the time. And new in the past few minutes, Jack in the Box is buying Mexican food chain Del Taco for about $575 million, including debt. Jack in the Box says that with the deal, it will control about 2,800 restaurants across the United States. And notably, it says 99 percent of Del Taco restaurants have a drive through Not a bad bet during the continuing band temp pandemic. The drive throughs have been the busy places. Joe? That is huge. That Del is Taco. huge. That is huge news. And I, and I, I just immediately wondered about, you know, uh, Jack in the Box had a, had a darn good taco. And I'm just wondering Ooh, what that means. Synergies. Do they merge? <laughs> Do they merge the taco operations for uh, cost saving? No. So Del, uh, Jack in the Box will continue Maybe to Maybe sourcing operations. I love both of those chains. I got to tell you, and they, we don't have them back here. I, but we when don't. I lived, I don't think when I lived. Uh, God, I love both of them. I mean, I makes. I'm thinking about what I got at each one of those right now. What, what a great deal! Thank you for bringing that uh, to me and, mm. and the viewers. Uh, Anytime. Big story today. BuzzFeed set to go public today via SPAC amid some drama over investor redemptions and a dispute with employees. Leslie Picker joins us now with more. Leslie. Hey, Andrew, that's right. BuzzFeed set to make its debut after merging with a SPAC where 98 percent of shareholders supported the deal. That doesn't mean investors and BuzzFeed employees are happy about it. A mere $16 million remains in a trust after 94% of shareholders redeemed from the SPAC, known as 895th Avenue Partners. The name apparently comes from uh, the address of the Avengers headquarters in the Marvel comic. Uh, The redemption option leaves BuzzFeed with just a fraction of the cash it was expecting from the transaction, although the company will have gross proceeds of about $150 million from convertible notes in connection with this merger. Now, the redemption proportion is the highest for any SPAC in the fourth quarter and more than double this year's average rate of 42%. While shareholders were casting their ballots last week, the BuzzFeed News Union walked off the job for about 24 hours. Union representatives in a tweet say they've been bargaining for Uh, contracts for two years and are seeking more than the 1% guaranteed annual raise and $50,000 salary floor. A spokesman for BuzzFeed telling CNBC in response, quote, there is a bargaining session planned for Tuesday, which will be tomorrow, where we look forward to making more progress with the union. Before then, the company is about to achieve an incredible milestone, becoming the first publicly traded digital media company with complex networks in our ranks and equity for more deals ahead. NBC Universal, the parent company of CNBC, is an investor in BuzzFeed. As he mentioned, as the spokesperson mentioned, today's debut will be closely watched as a proxy for public investor interest in digital media companies. Andrew. It's, it's quite the story, Leslie, and uh, we're going to be speaking just a little bit uh, with BuzzFeed's founder, uh, Jonah Peretti. But um, how much do you think that this is um, a signal, if you will, for the rest of the market? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the redemption numbers are certainly something that people will have to consider when they choose this back route. If you're going into this thinking that you're going to get somewhere closer to a $288 million, that's how much the SPAC raised in the first place. And at the end of the day, you're ending up with about $16 million. You might say, hey, if I had gone the traditional IPO route, maybe I would have had more cash on hand uh, as a result of this deal. Or if I would have just in a regular way, um, M&A transaction, I would have had more cash on hand as a result of this merger. So I think it definitely changes the calculus for a lot of companies. Now, not every company is going to be in this situation. As I mentioned, this, these redemption levels, 94% redemption levels, that's the highest of the fourth quarter, more than double the average of this uh, this year. So it's definitely not the norm, but it's not unheard of as well. This is something that people need to realize is a possibility. Hey, Leslie, real quick, and maybe just explain it to the audience, because I'm not sure everybody totally always understands. Um, when an investor invests in a SPAC before the de-SPACing, not only can they get their money back, mm -hmm. but they can get their money back with interest. So when you see a big investor group go yeah. into a SPAC early, it's not clear that that unto itself is uh, some signal that they support the deal, if you will, or they support what's about to happen next. That's right. So there are two things that you can do with a SPAC. And what's interesting here is, of course, as I mentioned, this deal got overwhelming shareholder support. 98% of shareholders voted in favor of the deal. That's because they have a way better option. If you're an investor here, you can choose to redeem uh, at the $10 uh, IPO price if you so choose to while supporting the deal. They, you don't really care because you're getting your money back, as you mentioned, with interest. So just because a deal has tremendous support, which almost invariably these deals do, doesn't mean you can't redeem. It doesn't mean you won't redeem. And a lot of that has to do with kind of where the shares are trading at this point in time. It was trading well below those $10 uh, on Friday as well. And so that makes it more attractive to redeem if you can get your money back uh, at a higher price than where it's trading in the market. That has a certain calculus to it. But then also, if you, if you get this sense in the market that other people are going to redeem as well and the stock could fall on its listing day, that may be another reason to redeem before the merger actually takes place. Leslie Picker, thanks for breaking it down. Thanks. BuzzFeed going public today on the NASDAQ through a business combination with 895th Avenue Partners. It's a SPAC and the deal includes an acquisition of complex networks for $300 million. NBC Universal, an investor in BuzzFeed. Joining us right now, first on CNBC, is BuzzFeed founder and CEO Jonah Peretti. Jonah, it's great to see you. Uh, congratulations on this milestone. So many questions uh, about uh, what you're going to do next, but also about the transaction itself, as you know, given the headlines around it. Uh, you're raising about $16 million in equity. Uh, on top of that, there's that convertible note, which uh, brings you up uh, in, in, over $100 million on top of that, or more than that, actually. Uh, but I'm curious, as you think about SPACs today and you think about this transaction, whether if you could do it all over again, you would still do it this way, which is to say, would you go off and do an M&A tra transaction or try to raise $16 million through the private markets? <laughs> yeah, um, thanks for having me, Andrew. So um, I'm not, uh, you know, uh, an expert on SPACs or uh, invested in any particular vehicle. The thing that was so great about the SPAC transaction is it allowed us to go public and do an acquisition at the same time. Um, and that's why uh, the vehicle was really attractive to us. Digital media has really struggled to consolidate and get operating leverage because private to private transactions are really difficult. And so what the SPAC transaction let us do is add complex, get public, have a public currency. Um, and, and so we're, we're very excited about uh, the transaction and being able to, to become a public company today. 
So now that you're a public company, tell us what therefore comes next. Um, so um, we're going to continue to uh, grow our business. Um, we're going to continue to look for attractive acquisition targets um, with BuzzFeed, Complex, HuffPost, Tasty. We're bringing together the best brands in digital media. And we um, really are excited about being the pioneering company in digital media that will you know, be the comp for other players in the space and, and really show that digital media can be a strong business. Um, and we reach so many millennial and Gen Z consumers that are just very hard to reach other ways. And it's, um, I think, um, a really um, exciting time where digital media is, is growing and becoming um, a really excellent business. In terms of the path to profitability, the business still does lose money. What does it look like? Um, we were EBITDA profitable last year. We'll be EBITDA profitable this year, um, significantly more than, than, than last year. Um, so um, I think um, there's a, a great path for, for profitability in, in, this, in this space, and, um, and we've been able to achieve that. Um, and so um, looking at um, the kind of operating leverage you get also as, as companies get bigger, it's, it's something that digital media has been lacking um, with a lot of smaller players. Um, with more scale, you have the ability to, to um, you know, invest in commerce, invest in advertising, invest in technology, and really build the platform, a modern platform for, for media. Right. But but speak then to, to to the idea of investment. I think part of this whole transaction was around raising a ton of cash so that you could go make some of those investments so you could hire uh, personnel and, and, and such. And clearly, the amount of money you were able to raise in the end was not what I think people imagined when you began. Uh, yeah, we, we raised enough cash to, to operate our business and acquire a complex. Uh, we'll have a public currency in, in, a, stock, in a public stock. Um, and Operating with fiscal discipline is really important. Um, you know, having a lot of cash uh, would, would be nice, um, but it, it's important to use your cash in a way that um, where, where you really are understanding the inputs and outputs of your business and, 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 and right. investing wisely. And um, we've been able to do that and be able to, to being able to have a business that generates cash is, is more important than just, um, you know, raising a ton of cash. But, what, but, 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 but Jonah, we've known each other for quite some time. <laughs> what did you think when you saw the redemptions? You had to think something. We, we, we entered a SPAC market that was very hot, where you know, even companies that were not very good companies were, were raising at very high valuations and raising a lot of cash. Um, you know, we have just this year, not you know, three, four years out, we have uh, over half a billion dollars in revenue. So we're, we're a real business that could have taken a traditional IPO path. In the midst of our process, we definitely saw the SPAC market get ice cold. Um, and so we, we anticipated high redemptions and we structured a deal so that we knew we could get public and buy complex regardless of the redemption levels. So we really anticipated this because we saw what was happening in the market and um, feel really excited about complex joining us and, and being public today. When you talk about other acquisitions and using this as a currency, what kinds of businesses would you want to acquire? So if you look at what the, the last two deals we've done, um, HuffPost, really well-known brand, really engaged audience. Um, it's already, um, you know, from, from losing money last year, it's already contributing to our, our profitability this year. Um, so that was a, a great one for us. Complex is another really strong brand in, in sneakers, in music and food and lifestyle. Um, adds a male skewed demographic uh, to the company. Um, 
another, uh, you know, so that's another example. So if you, if you want to think about what we're looking for in the future, it's really strong brands, really engaged audiences, um, great new monetization opportunities, and the ability to have more operating leverage as a, as a bigger company with some shared services. But more, just, just to put a fine point on it, more advertising driven, more e-commerce driven, more subscription driven? Uh, I mean, the, the real key to, to our success has been having um, diversified revenue. So BuzzFeed is a commerce business, an advertising business, a content business. Um, and when we buy a new, a new company, um, we're able to extend those business lines to that business and make it a stronger, more diversified uh, um, right. business. Jonah Peretti, uh, we look forward to uh, following you now as a publicly traded company. Thanks for joining us this morning. That is Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We've got all the news you need from our three-hour morning show and then some. I might like Omicron. I might start doing it because that's acceptable, too. I'm thinking Ohm. Then it sounds like a tech company. You're thinking Ohm. You do that. You used to do that. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.